So those of you who are not staying for the More Like the Master, let's have you take off. And those of you here in the room that are staying, we'll get notes to you if you didn't get them. And we'll ask you to go to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. While the others are walking out, let's just get our minds working a little bit on this wonderful fall day. Name something you should avoid hitting when sliding down a steep hill. There you go. That's all you got to know. Anything else that you should avoid? A parked car? Other people? Okay, the road? Okay. Here's what they said. A parked car, a fence, people, rocks, and trees. A simple one. Name something a small child might want to carry with them everywhere they go. Teddy bear's going to be up there. Blanket's going to be up there. Pacifier. I think pacifier's up there. Okay. Toys. Okay. Here's what they have. A bottle, a pacifier, a ball, a toy, a buddy or stuffed animal, and a blanket. Name a sport where they wear special headgear. Football, baseball. Okay. Lacrosse, wrestling. How about those fillies, huh? Wow, what a surprise. What a surprise. Yeah. Today is the third. They play today again? Okay. What, what is it? So I better not go over. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Boxing, wrestling, swimming, baseball, hockey, and number one was football. Uh, here we go. Name an occupation where one would never drive a small, small vehicle or car to do that job. What's that? Astronaut. An astronaut? That'd be too small. I'm talking on the, on the wheels, but here, on road. Truck driver's not going to do a small one. What's that? Moving company? <laughs> Amish driver. Okay. <laughs> That's very specific, yeah. Do they have small buggies? Is there standard buggies? I don't know. Here's what they said. Construction workers, Amazon package guy, limo driver, fireman, bus driver, number one is truck driver. Name a time you give a fake smile. Pictures. You're taking pictures. Any other time? What's that? Driving? No other time you give fake. You're so genuine. Here's what they said. When you're nervous, when you're meeting new people, when you're upset, when a job interview, when you hear a bad joke. <laughs> Number one is taking pictures. Now this one's simple. Name something that will mark the last days. According to the Bible, what's going to mark the, what are some of the... Everybody's doing right in their own site? Apostasy? What's that? Turning away from the truth. Anything else? The wars, rumors of wars. Lawlessness, what'd you say? Persecution. So there's, you, can, you can just put, there's a number of things you could put. The upheaval, the rise of the one world system, which sure seems ripe right today, doesn't it? Uniformitarianism, the explosion of knowledge, false teachers. And one of the most common uh, statements in scripture is going to be the rampant evil that is just going. So we're talking about how do we respond if we are, and I think we are, I think we're in the latter days. Okay, maybe you don't, but I think all the signs, the stage is so set. And um, 
Anyway, that means that we, it, it behooves us more that as we see the days approaching, we would purify ourselves. We would live godly, godly lives, that is, holy lives, which God has predetermined we who are believers are supposed to do. And so what we've been doing is uh, we're headed for Ephesians 5 to get started, if you aren't there yet. We're headed for Ephesians 5. We've been talking about these last weeks about things that we need to put off and put on. And the Bible gives specific lists of different attitudes, actions, conducts. In the Old Testament, the Jews had these types of lists to put off and put on different types of things. In the New Testament, we have several passages that give these lists of specific actions, attitudes, uh, conduct, activities that we're supposed to make sure it's not in our life. We're supposed to be changing. We're supposed to be different. And uh, and he contrasts that through the book of Ephesians where he makes a mention of all these different items. Then in the book of Titus, he says, make sure you teach the different age groups and impact upon them, impress upon them that these are areas they're supposed to be focusing on as they're going through their life. And so we've talked about a lot of this so far, very specific. What we were talking about is another section of Scripture that says, okay, it doesn't list every nuance of activity or conduct, but it gives principles now that expand this. And there's a word that is used sometimes in Scripture about um, staying away from, love not, separate, come out from among them. And it shows up in a couple different passages. In in 1 John 2, love not the world, neither the things that are... Okay, and then he gets very specific of what kind of attitudes. And it doesn't have a list of specific, but it has a more general statement. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6... It talks about be not unequally, okay, but then he says come out from and be ye, okay, and so we get several different uh, specific commands that were given. That's where we looked last week. We're in Ephesians 5. We're going to pick up one more of these thoughts, yeah, a few more of them, but one more of the items that we're going to go on. In Ephesians chapter 5, what he's talking about, he makes this statement. He says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Okay, so now we need to discuss what might the unfruitful works of darkness mean. Okay, if we're not to have anything to do with unfruitful works of darkness, identify that. Does the passage help you to identify that in any way, shape, or form? You're a new believer. You're sitting in the church of Ephesus. You get this letter, and he says, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. What in the world could he be talking about? What's that? Okay, don't indulge in the sins of the unsaved. That's a broad and excellent description of what it could be. In the text, okay, if we go to the, the passage of, of what's already there in context, which would be exactly what you're talking about, start with verse 3. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be okay, named among you as become the saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not necessary, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, unclean person, covetous man, idolater, has any inheritance. So in the context of the passage, 
He's given us a very broad description of some of those activities, attitudes, desires, that they shouldn't be a part of our life at all. And so we go a little bit further in this text, and we, I wanna, want you to think this through. How serious is God about us not having anything to do with it? If you look at verse 7, what stands out in verse 7? What statement that says to you, God is serious about this. He doesn't want us to fool with it. What's his command? Therefore, be not what? Partakers with them. Okay, so he's making it very clear, don't get involved in this. Look at verse 11. How, How do you know God is serious about this? What does he say? What command does he give in verse 11? No fellowship with this. Have no fellowship with them. In fact, not only have no fellowship with them, but what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to oppose it. You're supposed to rather reprove it. Look at the next verse, okay? Verse 12. What indicates that God is really serious about this? What does he say in verse 12? Now, what's that? Don't even talk about some of this stuff. It is a what to, to speak of it? It's a shame, okay? In other words, we're not supposed to be jesting about it. We're not supposed to be joking about it. And yet in our world today, what is our world promoting? What attitude ought people to have to things that they may not agree with? Tolerance is the, P, is the key word, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Okay, it's, it's tolerance. We're spo- the big word is we're supposed to be tolerant of anything and everything as long as it's what they're doing. Is that true? Okay, we're supposed to be tolerant of evil and sin, but if we stand up and say it's wrong, now something's wrong with us. But as a believer following this passage... What are we supposed to do, even though the world tells us, don't comment about it, keep, keep to yourself, are we supposed to go along with immorality? No, no. Okay, so we're supposed to not condone it in any way, shape, or form. In fact, we're not supposed to be joking about these things. Don't make it a jest. Don't make it you know, something that, you know, I don't do it, but ha, 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 ha. And make light of it. So God is very serious in this text about us not participating in certain evil thoughts and attitudes. And then he goes on, and I want us to go on. Why are we called to separate from those things? From the immorality? Why are we... Now look at these passages. If you look at verses 1 and 2, what comes out of verse 1 and 2 that would say... God talking to you, I don't want you to do this because you... Okay, what's that? We've been bought with a price. Okay. Anything else out of one and two? Go ahead. We're his children. Okay. Okay, so he makes it clear that as his children, who are we supposed to be acting like? Okay, okay. So it's very serious that he's making the comment that Jesus Christ made a sacrifice to get us out of that garbage. The question is, why would we go back to that garbage if he paid a price for us? Look at verse 5. What stands out of verse 5 that says, don't do this stuff? Why not? 
Sinners what? Okay, okay. Sinners don't, that, that type of sinful conduct is characteristic of those type of people who are not heaven bound, not saved. Exactly. True believers don't live this way. Now I look at verse 8. Verse 8. What it stands out of verse 8 when he says, You were sometimes darkness, but now you are light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. What stands out there that says, I ought not to be involved with that stuff because I... I'm a new creature. Excellent. Okay? You know, that idea that, that you've been changed. You are now God's child. And since God is pure, what are we supposed to manifest? Purity in our life. Excellent. Excellent. Verse 9. Anything out of there? The fruit of the Spirit is goodness and righteousness and truth. W- what does that tell you? If you're, if you're born again, who's in you? Who's inside of you? Holy Spirit. What does he produce? He produces what kind of fruit? Good fruit. Okay? So he isn't producing, the Holy Spirit isn't producing cursing. He's not producing immorality. <clears throat> He's not producing you know, vulgar types of conversations. That's not from the Spirit of God. So very simply, this isn't something that the Spirit inside of you wants you to be doing. Rather, he wants you to be more pure and more holy. So he's given us some of those comments. Now let's jump a little bit further. We understand, separate, and you said it so well. The things of the world that the lost. Let me throw another passage about being careful who we are associating with. In this text, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, withdraw yourself from every brother that walks disorderly, and not after the traditions that he received of us. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, have no company with him, that he may be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. In this text, who at times are we to separate from? Is he talking lost people? No. Who's he talking about? Some saved people. Okay, is there a time that Christians are to be very careful with their affiliation or association with another saved person? Yes. yes. When? Okay, okay. Here's, okay. This, is, this is a disobedient believer, okay? And the question is, okay, somebody who's choosing not to walk, How? What do we? Cho- what is the standard for determining whether or not we should have any fellowship with somebody? Is it because they don't wear hair a tuft like I do? Okay, none of you would want to go that way. Is it because they go to a different church than I do? Is it because they like different music than I do? Is it because they drive a different vehicle than I do? What is the standard in this passage? What's that? Yeah, what does it say? In this, in this passage, what is he saying? What, how, what are we using as our standard? I understand it's Jesus Christ. But something specific here in the passage. That, okay, where do you get that? Okay. 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 So the key here 
is keys for the standard is this epistle in verse 14. What do you have in verse three, uh, verse 6? Same thing but different. It's a different wording. If any man walk not after the tradition. What do you think of when you read tradition? What comes to your mind? What's that? Men's traditions, right? Is, isn't that what most of us do? Men's standards, okay? What we're used to. You know, they don't walk after the tradition. In other words, they sat in my pew because that's my pew traditionally. Or um, we, get, we get hung up on, at times tradition. Um, tradition, years ago. Uh, years ago, they started introducing pianos into church services. And that became, that became a debate in American churches. Because pianos weren't typically in the church service. They were typically in salums, <laughs> uh, in the bars, in the saloons, in, you know, in those occasions. So when they brought the piano in as an instrument, there was a lot of people that just, this is, this is against tradition. Uh, I'll give you one that in early America that split churches having hymn books. Once they, when they started publishing the hymns and putting them in hymn books, a number of people were appalled by that. I'm holding it upside down, sorry. Okay. They were appalled that they would introduce hymn books because that's supposed to be from our heart and we're supposed to be worshiping and they're supposed to be memorized. Preachers... Uh, in early America, preachers were not supposed to preach with notes, and they were to preach from the original Bible, the original language. They weren't supposed to have an English Bible up at the pulpit. They were, it was supposed to be working from the original. And so when all of a sudden there was a shift in that happening, it was like, you're worldly. You're not holding to Bible standards. Frankly, folk, I understand where there could be the difficulty in, in getting used to things being different. I understand that. And I appreciate that. But is that the standard that he's talking about? Where he says, not after the tradition that you've heard from me. Is that what he's talking about? He's talking about the teachings. The word that he uses here is a word that is also has the idea of the teachings. Okay? Not our traditions. Because we got traditions. We have traditions the way we have traditions that in our church, Sunday school starts at. Just seeing if you remembered, okay. okay. Um, we have traditions that Wednesday night is Wednesday is our typical midweek time that we have. I've heard of churches that have separated from other churches because they hold a Thursday Bible study and not a Wednesday Bible study. Does the Bible talk about a Wednesday night or a Thursday night Bible study being any more holy? It's a tradition. Okay. Is it evil? No. No. But is it easy to get caught up with attacking traditions like that? It is. So in this text, let's not get caught up that way, with that. In this text, not after the tradition which he received of us is in parallel to verse 14 where by the word of this epistle. It is the teachings that we gave. So the standard for us to separate from another believer is not the standard of my personal preferences or my personal traditions. It's 
What does the blank say? The Bible say. Does that make sense? Okay, so we need to qualify. Because if you're teaching this to a, a, a new believer, and you're teaching this to some kids, make sure you explain what he meant by traditions in that verse. Okay, does that make sense? Because otherwise we can get caught up. As a new believer, as a young car, I came from a church that was all traditional. This would have been very confusing for me, okay, to say, okay, um, what, who sets the tradition? The church that I'm in, and that's the standard for everybody else. That's not what, it, that's not what the passage says. The passage is saying it's the Word of God. It's what they received by the apostles in the teaching. So, the standard from it, the traditions, is the teachings. And again, you pointed out both of them. Now, it may include moral conduct. It could include doctrinal corruption. Both of those are there. We don't know which he's referring to or if it's both. So if they're not walking after the Bible standard for morality, ethics, lifestyle, which does the Bible give standards for moral ethics and lifestyle? Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because that's all we've been talking about up to this point. Okay. Does the Bible give standards for doctrine? Yes? Yeah, yeah. In First Thessalonians, what is the major doctrine he keeps talking about? Anybody remember First and Second Thessalonians? I'll give you a clue. Chapter 4 is one of the pivotal thoughts there. That in chapter 1 Thessalonians 4... That we shall, y'all, we shall hear the trump, and we shall be raised, and we shall meet them in the clouds. What doctrine are we talking about? Okay, in particular, the rapture. So the doctrine, it, first and second Thessalonians are a lot about eschatology. They're about end times doctrine, a lot. <clears throat> they talk about Antichrist. They talk about the day of the Lord, things of that sort. So that's in this text. That's in this context. That he's talking about. So let's take it a little bit further. Okay? Before we separate from a brother who is walking wrong or doctrinally they're corrupt, we're supposed to admonish him as a brother. What's admonish? What does it mean to admonish? You're commanded to do this. You've got to know what it means. Confront? Try to correct? Okay, excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Okay? We are not supposed to have the attitude that they are our enemy, okay? Uh, and, I, and again, you and I need to be careful of this. We are strong in what we hold as doctrine. We are not going to be dissuaded from doctrinal belief. But at the same time, I need to remember that some believers who maybe, maybe they don't teach baptism, and they're wrong if they don't. I have no qualms with saying they're wrong if they don't teach baptism because baptism is an important doctrinal practice given by Jesus Christ in the (coughs) Great Commission. Okay, So if the church says we're not going to practice that, it's not that important, I disagree with them. I think they're doctrinally wrong. However, what do I have to make sure that I don't do? I don't attack them as they're the enemy. As one person said it before, we in our, we in our Bible fight for truth and, and doctrine, we sometimes swing the sword that we keep on swinging it and start cutting down even those on our own side. Okay, so we need to be careful. And yet, 
At the same time, I disagree with him. Do we have, do we have um, brothers and sisters who are born again who are Pentecostal and charismatic? <clears throat> yes, no? Yeah, I'm asking you this reason. Uh, do you consider them unsaved or saved? Okay. And again, we, it's an individual thing, but typically a lot of the charismatic and Pentecostals, they could be preaching you must be born again. They could be born again. <clears throat> and I disagree with them doctrinally. And I think their doctrine can be dangerous in, help, in, in hindering growth the proper way. But they are not my enemy. And so I have to balance that to point out error without, with, without um, attacking them. And that's, uh, I can attack the doctrine, but I want to be careful. Does that make sense? Okay, it's a, hard, it's a fine line. It's a real fine line. Where do, where do we go here? But keep that in mind. Here's another passage, okay? This one's tough. This one I want you to think about, because you get this all the time. You know, just recently, did any of you get a flyer in the mail in the last month about End Times Conference? Beautiful flyer. Talking about, we're going to talk about the end times and the discussion. Did you get the mailings? Yes, no? Through Lebanon City, there was mailings in different areas and around here. Do you know who it is? They, they don't identify themselves on the material. It's a Seventh-day Adventist. Okay? They typically don't identify themselves on the material. But it's really captivating material. Excuse me. And it's, you know, it's well-done material. And so you say, okay, does that happen that we get inundated at times with people coming via media, literature, or even to our doors. <coughs> How many of you have had some type of cultist, <coughs> excuse me, some type of cultist knocking at your door over the years? Okay, most of us have had that. This passage instructs us what to do. So we need to understand. If there come unto you any that bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. By the way, you've got to go to this text. Because the question, the first question I've got to ask you is, what is this doctrine? And you won't see it in this verse. You've got to go back to the passage. <clears throat> We're in Second John. If you're not sure what that is, it's between First and Third John, if that helps. Okay. In Second John, he, and this is important, this, this is here, uh, clearly context is involved. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed, for he that bids him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. The question that we have to answer immediately is, what is this doctrine? It's not identified in this verse, or, or two verses. So, what is this doctrine? Where, where did you get that? How do you get that out of the text? But how did you get that out of the text? Oh, well. You're, you're totally, absolutely right. If, if anybody did anything other than Jesus Christ for salvation, they should be encouraged. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Where did you get that in the, in the passage? Verse 9. Verse 9. Okay. Verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abides not in the doctrine of Christ <coughs> hath not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both God the Father. So we're to separate 
from false teachers who do not bring this doctrine. This doctrine is specifically referring to anything about, about Christ, such as what? Salvation in Christ. What else might you consider very important in the doctrine of Christ? The deity of Christ. Without his deity, he can't give us salvation. What else? His humanity in Christ. Without him being people, we got no kinsman and redeemer. What else about his doctrine? He, he's he's going to suffer the separation from the Father. What about his lifestyle? Sinless, holy. Okay, what about his resurrection? Has he had to resurrect? I'm, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Does he have to resurrect bodily? Absolutely, absolutely. So there are some, remember at this time, there are preachers going around and saying that when Jesus appeared to the disciples, he appeared in the spirit, not in the flesh. And so John makes this a big issue. If any man says that Jesus did not come in the flesh, he is of Antichrist, 1 John chapter 2. And so he's, he's really challenging this whole idea of the doctrine of Christ, where, which would include our incarnation, lordship, his deity, his substitutionary atonement or salvation, his resurrection, his bodily return. Okay? Is Jesus going to come back from heaven physically? Absolutely. Are there some churches or teachers that do not believe that? Do they say that Jesus has already returned and we're living in the kingdom? Are there some that say that? They do. And you, what was, what was, was that you, you, Eric? Yeah, what did you say? I just said, yeah. Yeah, I heard you mumbling and saying, um, if this is the kingdom, no way or what a mess or something. Yeah, because you and I say, if this is the best we got... I'm going to rephrase that. If this is the best Christ has got, where does that put Christ? Wow, wow. And so he says in this passage, okay, our criteria standard is going to be the Word of God, the teachings that are basically, primarily, let's talk about the teachings on, on Jesus Christ. And in this text, he says, I'm really serious about this from God's point of view. I'm really serious about you making sure you don't get involved in these types of teachings that question Christ's deity, his resurrection, his sinful uh, sinlessness, excuse me, his return. How serious is God about you separating from this stuff? What does he say in this text? We know yeah, I, he's very serious, I, I, if I'm not phrasing it right. How, how do we know he's very serious? What does he tell us we are to do or not to do? Okay. Okay. Is that what you said? Same thing? Not let in the house? If you wish him Godspeed. Okay. There's our two commands that are given in this text. Don't let him in your house. Don't, don't wish him Godspeed. Okay. So we go a little bit further and we have to answer this. Okay, what do you know? Let's put ourselves back in. This would have been written right around 95 AD. Okay, we're talking 60 years after Christ was was resurrected, roughly 65 years. What do you know about hospitality back then? 
what, from your Bible study, did they, have, did they often have Holiday Inn's Motel 8's leaving the light on for you? Was that frequent? No. Were they there? They were there limited. Okay. So what do you know about those places? Whoa, that step just moved. What do you know about those places where if you're a traveler, you're going to be staying there? What do you know that would make you uncomfortable? Robberies. Okay. These would have been, these would have been you know, providing food, uh, the, you know, travelers, entertainment. Um, hey, hey let, let's bring it to 150 years ago. Let's bring it to America colonial thing. What would, you're, you're, you're going to the Raleigh Tavern, and you're going to stay in the rooms. What just about the physical setup might make you uncomfortable? They're cramped. Why? You're sharing beds with who? You don't know. <laughs> so if you wanted a bed to share with somebody, you'd pay a little bit more. Otherwise, you choose to sleep on the floor. Okay. What did you have for modesty? What's modesty? Okay. <laughs> Back in those days. What did you have for a private bath? Yeah, who bathed? <laughs> so take it back in ancient cultures, and it's the same type of thing. And so if you're, the, if you're running the tavern, you're not going to be, you're trying to squeeze as many people in. You're, you don't care if they drink too much or whatever. By the way, if they drink a whole lot, what does that do for your pocket? You make more money, okay, if you're the tavern owner. And so those places had a reputation of what you said, Teresa. They're not safe. They're not necessarily hygienic. They're not necessarily a good moral place that you would want your kids to stay in. Okay? And so you're a Christian and you're traveling. You're a believer. What do you hope happens as you travel? You find another believer. Why? You're going to be safer, it's going to be more comfortable. The atmosphere isn't going to be as corrupt. So you hope that you have relatives spread all along your trip or you find some relative some way or you find a believer. And so when preachers were going out, let's take the Apostle Paul. He's going out and he's going to be at the mercy of most of the believers. They're going to travel from place to place to place. And who is he hoping would put him up? Believers. Believers, somebody that he wins to the Lord and then he can get into their house like the Philippian jailer, somebody like that, that they open up the house and they say, come and stay here. And they give him food and, and you know, help him out. And then he says, no, I need to go back to the jail for good reasons. In fact, every one of those verses, guess what he commands the believers to practice? Do you want to guess? Hospitality. Hospitality. Be open. And so in that culture, if you did not open your home to somebody who was requesting, how does that sh show on you? It, it, was, it was basically a cultural law. I mean, go all the way back to the Old Testament. Okay? Did Lot feel compelled to open his home? He did. He did. Did Abraham feel compelled to open his tent 
and make a meal for the guests, even though he didn't know who they were? The answer is yes. So they're in a culture, but as time went by and people became more centralized in cities, this becomes more of an issue because you're fearful, whatever. And he's saying, you've got to be hospitable. And so, you remember, it's not just the preachers. What was happening in the early New Testament is believers have to flee the city of Rome. Uh, They first had to flee Jerusalem, and then Rome started putting out edicts that the Christians were going to be killed as the empirical persecutions from right around this time period all the way through 300. As those 10 persecutions were launching, the Christians in the major cities left. They had to go somewhere. And so they're traveling with their families. And he's saying, be hospitable to fellow believers who are in need. They need your help. Open your home. It's kind of like modern day what's happening in middle in Europe. Just a few weeks ago, what did people have to do for the Ukrainians? Did you remember? People are fleeing. So what did the churches end up doing? Okay, we're talking about that type of thing. We're talking about opening your and being, being helpful. And he makes this comment in chapter, ch- book number three. You jump down to verse, um, yeah, third John 5. He says, you do faithfully whatsoever you do to brethren and to strangers which have borne witness of your charity before the church, whom if you bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, you do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such people that we might be fellow helpers of the truth. What's he saying? As these people went forward, they carried the gospel with them. And if you're being hospitable, you're helping them to... Okay, okay. So he says all that, and he says, but... What are you supposed to do when it comes to the false teacher? You already said it. We're not supposed to receive him into our house, and we're not supposed to say, God be with you. Now, my question goes back, does this sound harsh in our culture? Yes or no? Are we going to be accused of being harsh? Absolutely. So, is this saying we only let believers into our houses? Why do you say no? Yeah, we've already talked about that last week, right? That Jesus had time with them, that they they interacted with them. And so this is an opportunity to share the truth. This isn't what he's talking about, but he's talking about somebody who's propagating false truth. Okay? And so if somebody who's propagating the purpose they come to you is to share false truth, okay... Why does God want us to be so rigid? We're supposed to be holy. What's that? Protect the doctrine. How so? Okay, by not promoting the propagation of it? Okay. Because, but if we don't help those people out, does that limit their propagation of the doctrine? It would. It just, just like chapter uh, uh, third John said, you know, by you opening your home, you promoted the gospel. By you not opening your home, you're not helping that false doctrine to spread as much. What other practical reasons why might God say, don't let this in your house? You real? You think that's true? 
Okay, Joyce said, if you're a young Christian, you could be persuaded by their persuasiveness, by their presentation. Does that happen? Come on. Baby Christians don't get confused. Okay. So do older Christians. Okay. Do we get caught up at times in goofy things just because it was packaged well? Does that happen? Oh, absolutely. Especially today in our world, if it is marketed well, it can catch people's eye. What's that? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, let, me, let me give you one that that's, that's sounds so good. Um, if you just do what we tell you, God is going to make you wealthy, healthy, and popular. Okay? Does that sound attractive? To, I mean, face value. Does that sound like that's cool? Okay. Which one of us doesn't want that? You know, on the, for just its face value. Which one of us wants bad health, poverty, and being hated? Okay. From a human point of view, it's like, okay, what are you selling? And so we know, here, I put down these thoughts. You don't want to give that person the impression that what they're doing is right. Thumbs up. Go for it. Keep doing what, you want to, what you're doing. Okay? That's one reason. Because I don't want to encourage the false teacher like, <clears throat> go at it, buddy. You're doing a good job. Another reason. You don't want any in your home to become infected by the error, by exposure or toleration. Could it so happen that some false teacher get into your home, they're giving this really cool stuff that sounds really neat, and you're saying, it's just wrong, it's wrong, but your teenager is listening and saying, but that sounds really cool. That sounds, could that ever happen? Okay, okay. You don't want to give the false teacher ammunition to use at their next stop. Hey, we were just at your neighbor's down the street. And he said, you go to the same church. In fact, he's your pastor. Lives about a block away from you. And he let us come in and share this stuff. Would that, that opening make you think, well, maybe, maybe we should listen to it. Yes, no? Okay. We get this all the time. We get people who call here. And they'll say, we were just joking about this the other day. Hey, this is Jim. Is Wayne there? And the secretaries, the office people, right away assume something. Okay, it's somebody I know. It's somebody I know. Right? Doesn't it sound that way? Okay. Okay. Hey, this is Jim. Is Wayne there? You know, I told him I'd call. And Wayne gets buzzed. Wayne picks up the phone and says, yes, can I help you? I'm calling about your utility bill. <laughs> yeah. Do any of you get those? Okay. They, they make it sound very, very personable. Okay. You know, and open the door. <laughs> so my pastor, when I was, I was a preacher boy in Indiana, and I told you this years ago, um, I was a preacher boy in Indiana for a summer uh, between my junior and senior year in college. And I lived in what they called the parsonage, the apartment. And four houses down, the pastor had his house. 
And so one day, some cultists came to the door, and they were at the parsonage door, and I answered it. And I'm talking to them, and I said, listen, I want, you know, what you're propagating, I don't agree with. You know, I don't, oh, can we pray together? No, I don't even want to pray with you. The Bible says I'm not to wish you God's speed. I don't want, he said, man, a daze. You sound just like that, that witch four houses down. I said, what? And he said, yeah, there was this lady. She looked like a witch. And she had, I, I said, which house are you talking about? The pastor was a sweetheart. His wife was just a godly, sweet woman. She had long black hair, you know, a thin face. Her nose was a little bit larger. And she had a protruding chin, okay? And she had some type of blemish right on her chin. Totally typical, you know, this, you, you would think she modeled for some of those fairy tale pictures. And so he says, yeah, that woman, she was tough. She was, you know, she threatened to, you know, kick me out of her yard. She told me don't go to any of the neighbors. So I skipped the next three houses and came to this one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they got her message. They got her message that, you know, this isn't a, a welcomed area. God knows the power, and this, this is the bottom line. God knows the power of how Satan can twist the truth. Yes? Because they appear as angels of light. Okay, so he's warning us, and especially as we approach the last days, people have, they, they want their ears to be tickled. And so he's warning us, and it's good, it's good, I know it sounds harsh, but it's biblical. To say, I'm not going to let you into my house, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pray for you, I, I'm not going to, so we get, there's a new tactic. It's been the last two years. That in the summer, the, uh, the interns or whatever they're called that come into the area for the Mormon church, they'll stop here. And they'll come to our church building, and, they'll, and this is, again now, the last two or three summers. Knock on the door, want to talk to you know, the, the bishop. That's, I guess that's me. And their thing is, hey, listen, we're just coming through. Can we do projects around your building for you? Can we help you out in some way? And it's not, their initial introduction is not promoting doctrine. It is, we want to be, you know, we want to be nice to you. We want to help you out. Do you, do you have a janitor? We can give them a break. We'll do your janitor work for a week for nothing. And it's like, <coughs> I really appreciate you guys. That's really, that's really sweet of you, but we want nothing to do with you. And very tactfully and politely, just say we're not on the same page we don't have the same doctrines and I, I don't want us to get involved because we're not supposed to be blessing you and asking God to prosper you and encouraging you in what you're doing because what you're promoting is a false gospel. And, well, we can be brothers in Christ and it's like, no, we can't. Uh, we're not because of what you choose doctrinally. We're not brothers in Christ. And it sounds harsh and I don't mean to be cruel, but just compassionately, kindly saying, you're wrong we want nothing to do. I think that's biblical. I'm convinced that's biblical. I, I read it. It's biblical, though it's hard to do. Here's a, just a couple more. Let's just, this passage, look at, look at how in-depth it is. <laughs> but thou, a man of God, flee these things. Well, obviously, what do we have to ask? What's the question? Okay, what's the these things? Let's go to the passage, okay? First Timothy, you know where that is, right before... You got it. You're catching on. 
First Timothy chapter 6, okay? So what are these things that we're supposed to stay away from? And we're right again, we're into a doctrinal thing or a teaching thing because he's talking to the pastors. So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let me read the entire passage so you get a real flow of what he's talking about. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they're brethren. But rather, do them service, because they are faithful and beloved and partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof comes... (coughs) Envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of truth. Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw yourself. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for he brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare, and many foolish and hurtful us, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil." which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. What's the, these things? Right away, the first thought that we're all jumping to is immediately right before this verse, what could be these things? Money. Uh, I'm sorry. Let's expand upon that. The love of money. Thank you. The love of money. Let's, let's back it up a little bit more. Let's back it up to the whole context. Okay? What is he stressing in verses 1 through 3? What type of conduct? If you had to summarize it, what are you going to tell people they're supposed to do? Okay, in, in what setting? In particular, what setting? Okay, it's, it's in the workplace. Okay? You're, you're talking masters and servants. So he's talking about that idea of respecting authority. Okay, and having respect for authority, even like your master. Verse 5, he says, this other thing we're supposed to avoid is characteristics of false teachers. So our question is, what's a characteristic of a false teacher? What typically identifies false teachers? Well, he gives us a list. He says, he says okay, starting with verse 4 and 5. What phrases does he say? What is a false teacher like? Okay, he's proud. Do we need to identify what that means? Do we understand? Yes? You got that? Okay. What else do you have? Okay, he's knowing nothing. (laughs) Identify what that means. Okay, okay. So he's, he's, the word literally means unable to concentrate on any one thing in particular. In, matter, in other words, he's flitting all over the place. Do you remember what James says about that? A man who is not stable is like a double, the double-minded man that's all over the place. That's what he's talking about. It's somebody who really doesn't know what they believe. Okay, what else do you have? What other uh, characteristics of a false teacher? What's that? Argumentative. Okay. Well, let's pick, uh, you, again, uh, you might have a different translation. Doting about questions and words of strife has the idea. The word doting 
has the idea of you, you're inflicted by a sickness. You're inflicted by this sickness of constantly questioning and getting over word wars over semantics and missing the basic truth. He goes on, he says, whereof comes or out of which comes envy, we know what that is, strife, we know what that is, <coughs> railings, railings is verbally assaulting others, not attacking principles or doctrine, but attacking personalities, okay? Uh, evil surmisings is the idea of being extremely suspicious, paranoid of others is the idea, okay? That, and by the way, false teachers typically, how do they, how do, what do they want out of their congregations? Total, total submission. Don't you dare, what? Don't you ask questions. I don't have to ever explain myself, okay? Totalitarianism, yes? Have you seen that in, in cultic groups? Or have you heard of that? Okay, okay. And he goes on, perverse disputings, that is, you know, violent attacks, diatribes, um, responding, they, they're all about money. Peter says this is the characteristic of false teachers is they put a big focus on getting money and being immoral. It's all about satisfying the flesh. The flesh, yeah. So he says, flee these things. What are we supposed to pursue instead? Okay, godliness, righteousness, love, everything we've talked about. So he's given this, this listing of being careful. We need to separate, and sometimes we need to separate from false teachers. Sometimes we need to separate from some believers. If they, are, if they are going along with those things. Definitely we need to separate from ungodliness and conduct. So he's listed this all out. My question to you is, what else, you know, what other things are we supposed to be careful of? Anything outside of this goes? Or are there times we need to say, wait a minute, um, the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but... I shouldn't do it. Have you ever had that in your life? Yes, no? The Bible specifically doesn't say, do not speed with your vehicle. It doesn't. It doesn't say that. How do you know you shouldn't speed? Okay, now you're getting into areas that aren't specifically mentioned, and I hear this all the time. If it's not mentioned, then there's no problem. You can do it. Isn't there a whole lot of stuff in our world that's not mentioned in the Bible? Okay, what do we deal with those? We're going to pick that up next week, okay? Thanks so much for your patience. You endured a long class. Thank you.